To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. That's right. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me, as always, is the man who King Kong himself would have to stand on a step stool to look eye to eye. It's Mr. Don Moore. Hello, everybody. And joining us today is the man behind the comic book Headless. Everybody say hello to Alex Benkita. Hi. Hello, everyone. Man, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm like super yes. excited. And so pre, people don't know this. The pre-podcast conversation got me excited. So now I'm like, I'm already amped up. Everyone's like, this guy's coming out of 10 right from the beginning. Like, oh, it, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> the first five seconds was awesome. It was horrible. <laughs> so Alex, you just, you just started season two of this book. Uh, you're calling it season two instead of like volume two and you restarted the numbers. So we've, we've read the first, the first uh, series and the beginning of this next part. Oh, thanks. Tell, tell us a little bit about like, where this came from? How the how, what? Where did this this whole series start for you? Oh, that's like a that's a hard question <laughs> to answer. <laughs> um, uh, uh, let me think about it. So, I guess the beginning of where it started is I really like the Headless Horseman, and mm. I always I, I want to put this out there. I have not read and consumed every single piece of Headless Horseman entertainment. So maybe there's a version of this somewhere. But for me, I always feel like all the Headless Horseman stuff I see, the Headless Horseman is always kind of like a secondary character in his own story. And Mm -hmm. I never liked that. I always felt like the Headless Horseman should be the main character of the story. So that was maybe kind of the beginning of the idea was I want to write a book about the Headless Horseman, but it's not about somebody running away from the Headless Horseman or he's going to come kill them. It's, it's about him and maybe other characters as well. So I think that's where it started. And then uh, I actually wrote a version of this um, a while ago. And then uh, I used to work with – I worked with Robert uh, Ahmad, the co-creator of Headless, on a book, my self-published book called Captives. And uh, he hit a point where he's like, I just want to start working on something different. Let's try something new. So I said, hey, I got this idea for Headless. And then he's like, okay, this is cool, but – let's do this, let's change this, let's have it take place in the 80s. And I'm like, okay, I'm down for all those things. And then we kind of just went back and forth, and then the story turned into what it became. Um, and then with the the first volume, um, I kind of really, I feel like, cut my teeth on it, and it was the first book I got published, um, which was really exciting. And then I feel like with the second volume, I tried to approach it from a more mature audience perspective. Like I was writing it more for adults, because I felt like every time I would go to comic book signings, everybody who would show up for signing was an adult. So <laughs> I said, why am I, you know, I, I would prefer to write for adults anyway. So I think that's why the I went in that direction with the second volume. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was a lot of information. So this is really a collaborative effort. You guys were already working together on, on, on captive and you just, you just started bouncing ideas back and forth and that's how this really came to came to fruition then yeah yeah um i always uh this is gonna sound like a silly reference have you ever seen the movie that thing you do 
Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I always in my head I feel like um, I'm the singer Jimmy in the movie, the guy who wrote the song slow. Yeah. And then the drummer's like, "No, that sucks. Do it like this." And that to me is Robert. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, it's it's better this way, you know. And I, I feel like that's how we kind of work together. Is sometimes Robert will say, "Hey, it'd be cool if we did this," and I'll say, "Oh, let's do this." And then sometimes he'll even draw things in a way that I didn't script it. Not like a drastic change. It'll be right. a little thing, and I'll say, "That's much better than what I came up with. Let's go with that." Um, I like that. I think the way I work as a writer is I'm also an artist too. Uh, I don't have time to draw books, but I, I went to art school. I've drawn a few books. And to me, I think for writers, it's really, really important to listen to what your artist is giving you. Yeah. So if, if your artist is saying, Hey, you know, maybe we should take the story in this direction or maybe this, you know, be open to it. And not every idea is going to work, but I think that's how I always try to go about it. Um, and you know, what's funny too is after every time I finish writing a script for headless, uh, after Robert draws it, I rewrite some of the dialogue based on his art. Yeah, because I'll just say, you know, this this scene works better if I rewrite it this way based on his art. So it's almost like I write in both a traditional script method and a Stanley method at the same time. Where Stanley would just write the story, he would just like hammer out the plot and then write the word balloons after he saw the art. I feel like that's really useful, um, especially season two. Season two. I really, really reworked a lot of that because when I wrote it, the first time I wrote it, um, I don't know, I think I was in a different place mentally than where I was when I finally got to write it because um, it was it was like a good amount of time. There was like a time gap. So when I actually sat down and saw it again, I, uh, I said, you know what, this doesn't work or I would prefer this this way. So I think Robert's, I, I feel like Robert's, I don't know how much of season two you've read, but his art really takes off in that. Just the so first I feel issue. Like, yeah, yeah just, we've yeah. just gotten the first issue so far, um, you know, and <clears throat> his, his art style. I mean, the the color, the the, yeah. the blue and this 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 kind of uh, reddish pinky color. I, I did. I really dig the way that he did his color color work. Was that something that was conscious between you guys, or is that just he just ran with that and you're like, I love that was it. all. That was all him. Robert nice. said, "Let's do let's do two colors." And then um, I said, okay, do you want to – so he picked – since we're making the book in the 80s, blue and pink seems yeah. right. You know, it's like a vapor wave kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and what I really find is from the first volume to the second volume, in the first volume, I think he's still figuring it out. But by the second volume, especially by like issue three, he gets so good at where he wants to put color A and where he wants to put color B and where he's going to put no color – and the way he figures out how to draw the reader's eye to where he wants it to go, he's gotten incredibly good at that. Um, but that was, that was again, me taking the back seat because it's a collaboration. I was like, you know what? Robert knows what he's talking about. Let's just, let's roll with it. And then, you know, the only thing that was my concern uh, was how am I going to get a publisher to publish this? Because it's like, okay, it's an eighties book about the headless horseman and it's blue and pink, you know? So I think for a lot of publishers, they would see that and go, and also unknown creators, like, yeah. two, like two guys who are virtually unknown. So I think, you know, I'm really grateful that when we pitched a scout, they were like, this is cool. Let's do this. And it worked, you know, um, but that was, you know, I just thought Robert's instinct was right. And I'm glad that we went with that because I think it, it's, it's like a signature of the book. And also, I really like the way it jumps off the, the, the comic book rack. Because oh, yeah. I know when you go to the comic book shop and you see it on the rack, you're like, what, what is this? You know, like you could just see it jumps off the rack. It's like because there's no book that's colored in blue and pink. 
Some of the variants are, are full color, but most of the mainline covers are blue and pink only. Um, and even the logo. I remember when I first did the logo, it was actually orange and black. And then when Scout was putting it through production, I saw it in orange and black, and I said, no, it should be blue yeah. and pink. Yeah, I'm, I'm like looking at this cover going, orange and black. Yeah, man, right. no, I, don't, I don't think that would have no, worked. because it worked. <laughs> um, so... I think I think the the blue and pink is kind of the signature of the book now, yeah. Um, and I, I I can't see it any other way. Uh, I, I like seeing the characters color. Like there's the um, uh, the Evan Dorkin cover for season two issue one. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the way that looks. The color on that is amazing. It's cool to see those characters colored. Uh, the Peach Momoko cover for volume one. It's really cool to see Rick colored and Sarah. Um, but to me, the book is blue and pink. Like that's the way it looks. Maybe one day that might change. I don't know, but I like it a lot, and I have no plans of. I'm happy it worked out the way it did. Yeah, personally, for me, I, I would say don't change that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was no plan to. You know, I don't know why I went in that direction, but <laughs> yeah. So now I had never heard of Scout before. Uh, so you're you're my introduction to Scout Comics. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> it looks like a really cool company. Uh, they're a pretty young company too yeah yeah so i got in i want to say i pitched them in 2018 and i think the company started publishing in 2016 so i was i was really right there like in the beginning um and it's run by um it's always uh there's there's like a few guys that are consistent like james hack uh he's the president uh, he has a book called Solar Flare, um, and then uh, Jim Pruitt was working there. He had a book. Uh, I forgot the name of his book. And then uh, Brendan Deenan. I, I, I think he's still there. I don't know. I don't. I don't keep up. Uh, but right. a lot of the a lot of the people who started the company have their own books, and then they started to kind of expand out. I think once they started to figure out the publishing game, um, and that's kind of where I came in. And now I feel like the company's really taking off. And I think what I really really like about Scout is. I think the problem in the comic book industry right now is that these companies like uh, Image and Dark Horse and IDW, um, they're too big now. Like they're, they're too big for independent books almost. And I don't, I don't begrudge them for that, but I felt like when Dark Horse was starting out, that's when they were interesting to me, like really interesting. Like, oh, Concrete, well, I never heard of this book. Hellboy, what's that? Um, the Mask, whatever it was called. I forgot the original title. I think it is called The Mask, the original title. Yeah, it was originally called Mask. You know, I mean, they were they were putting out so much interesting stuff because they were they were new and they were they were like we're Dark Horse and Sin City, you know, like all this crazy interesting stuff. And I think that's what Scout is doing now, and I think it's really good for comics. And I think Image was doing that for a while too. And now I think, from what I've heard about Image, basically, if you don't work, at, if you haven't worked at Marvel or DC, it's it's kind of tough to get in there. Um, and that's a, that's know, a shame because there's so many uh, fantastic indie creators out there that you know they they need a publisher to believe in them and uh, it's you know scout scout uh, publishing this for you is awesome yeah uh, let's talk let's talk the book for a second so the the, the, <laughs> the storyline is this crazy uh, amalgamation of the headless horseman mm-hmm. the knights templar. Yes, the Salem witch trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all happened in, in the eighties. I mean, yeah. 
this is such a wild combination of things and it it works really well in in this wild way and i totally understand how how these different things could fall in place with uh together well it's it's interesting because to me the salem witch trials and the hellish horseman goes together like peanut butter and jelly because Mm -hmm. i always i always thought what made the hellish horseman cool was that he's the hellish horseman you know not that he's from new york Right, Sleepy Hollow is in New York, right? I I want to sound ignorant there. I'm pretty sure it's upstate. I think think it is. I think so. I I already could see a comment. You idiot! It's this. It's the Northeast. I know that. (laughs) So it just seems like the headless horseman being connected to witchcraft makes sense. And then also um, the Giles Corey, who's the headless horseman. That's a real person who you know. I don't know if anybody knows his story. Is basically he was accused accused of witchcraft, and he refused to say. He wasn't a witch. So they killed him. And one of his last words was um, more weight because they crushed him to death. And I'm like, that is such a crazy story. And then I said, wouldn't it be cool if he was the Headless Horseman? He came back and he wanted revenge. And it gets more complicated than that. I don't want to spoil anything. (laughs) But, you know, um, that was kind of the the beginning point. Like, that made sense to me. That was cool. And then Robert was the person who's like, why doesn't it take place in the 80s? I'm like, no, we should do it in the 80s. I'm like, of course we should do it in the 80s. That makes perfect sense to me. And then um, the colors came in. And the Knights Templar, I just thought was a fun thing because you take this group and you turn them into something that is, I don't, not necessarily good, not necessarily evil, but kind of evil the way they operate. But I remember somebody was talking to me about the book when I was at a signing and they were saying, like, I don't know who the good guy in this book is, yeah. you know, because it's like the people who are fighting the demons are not exactly great people either. And I think that's what made it fun to write and to write the, Knight Temp- the Knights Templar in that way. Because um, the way I write them is that they kind of existed during the Salem Witch Trials. They came to America during the Salem Witch Trials from Europe and, or with everybody who came, whatever. And then they're like, we have to destroy witchcraft. And then they still exist. And they're kind of all the police officers in Salem, Massachusetts. And they're covering things up and trying to find the Headless Horseman. So that was a really fun thing to write, too. That was a lot more fun to write than I thought it was going to be because I remember I came up with it. And then I was like, I really like writing these characters. I like writing these cops who are corrupt or whatever. Like, it's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's really kind of a thing with the Knights Templar is they are, uh, you know, you, you show this kind of corruption to them. I mean, it's a it's a they meant to do good, but they just kind of totally right. messed it all up in a way. Well, it's the means justify the end. The end justifies the means, yeah. right? And that's that's how I kind of went about writing them. Um, it's funny because I reread the first issue the other day, and I remember going, "Man, by page three, these guys are horrible." Like I just, they were so horrible so fast. <laughs> so yeah. in the dialogue, and then the the main character's brother becomes a police officer, and he's not in the Knights Templar, so they're kind of keeping him at arm's length, and they don't want him to know what's going on, and they're really awful to him. Um, and then he gets thrown into the whole kind of conspiracy. So it's almost like a conspiracy theory kind of book or whatever the term I'm looking for. I don't know. And then, you know, with the Headless Horseman. So it was a weird amalgamation, but it just all made perfect sense to me the way it fit together. Like it just it, I guess you said that earlier, but that's how I saw it. And then with the second volume or season or whatever, uh, I just saw it as a continuation of, OK, this happened now what's the result of all this happening? You know, cause the first volume doesn't exactly end on a happy note. It ends on kind of a somber note, like, okay, it's over, but it's not exactly a great ending. Um, but it's enough that you can walk away from it. But then 
the second volume is about that. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's like a Shakespearean tragedy, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's pretty rough. That's, <laughs> so. um, you're really good at dynamics of people, how they all interact with each other. Um, well, thank I, you. That's really nice of you to say. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but I that's that. one, one thing. When we talk about books, I try really hard not to read the end of whatever we get so I don't spoil it for people. And uh, right. we try to tell just enough so if people are interest, listening, if they're interested, you know, they won't spoil it for them. Uh, this series, I realized I couldn't tell anybody anything about it because you have cliffhangers and oh wow right. moments three or four times right. in each issue and I thought yeah, well <laughs> okay so in this one I'm just going to kind of sit back and let the person talk which you've been quite good at <laughs> well, that's easy because I never shut up well the way you're talking is, is how your writing is which is very dynamic but one thing I can talk about was when you mentioned the, the policeman that came from somewhere else the way they were treating him is like when you just enter the military and you're the new right. guy and everybody's messing right. with you. But I right. like how one of the other cops, you know, she was um, kind of hard on him but also sympathetic and talking about how to, she was going to show him the shortcut, you know, the donuts, right. the whole thing. Right. But it's all the way through uh, with the secret Knight Templ Knights Templar people, um, right. the other kids, um, other groups of kids. Uh, right. Even even demons in hell. There's you, right. you were very good at that, but it was it was in a believable way. And right. um, the whole time I'm reading okay. this, I'm thinking, well, okay, what is going to happen next? And then the season—I wasn't expecting season two, but season two, it there's still dynamics. I mean, we've only read the one issue, but there's still dynamics between the people moving on. And I thought, okay, right. this is well thought out. My question is, were you even alive in the 80s? Uh, <laughs> yes, but I wasn't like having fun or doing anything. I got you. I, just, I, I existed. <laughs> I got you. Well, Don's, Don's asking this because it, looking at Alex, he is young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at him. Well, <laughs> so, my, my question well, you know, is... You know what? Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm, I... I Kind of to go back, but I don't want to cut you off from your question. No, no, go, go ahead. I, I'll remember my question. Go ahead and finish. This okay. is your show, man. Going back about the, I appreciate the thing you were saying about the dynamics between the characters because I, I tend to spend a lot of time taking notes about characters and making sure that they come from different perspectives and have different point of views, and it seems sincere and it seems genuine. Um, and especially with season two, uh, I must have wrote. I don't even know how many pages of notes just trying to get into the head of the character. So even if I feel like Alan Moore is incredibly good at this. And I remember um, hearing a quote from him when he was talking about Rorschach. Uh, if anybody doesn't know the Watchmen, it's a book written by Alan Moore. Oh, anybody listening to this show. <laughs> I would hope so. Um, there's a character in the book named Rorschach. Nobody knows. And um, I remember him saying that he, didn't agree with Rorschach on anything. Yeah. And he thought Rorschach was crazy. 
but he wrote him from a very believable perspective. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's a writer. Like, that's somebody who can write a character that they find horrible, but pr- not portray them in, like, a horrible light. Write them honestly. And that's how I tried to go. That's what I always try to do with my writing is I'll write characters and I'm like, this person I would not want to have a beer with. <laughs> like, this person's horrible. But they have their own point of view, too. And they have their own perspective, too. And I think that's the most important thing to me about writing characters and I, I'm glad that you noticed it because I have put a lot of time and thought into it even the the words the characters use um, the way they speak their mannerisms yeah. uh, a lot of that stuff I put a lot of time into because um, it's important because I feel like when you when the characters feel off and they're just saying the thing they're supposed to say to move the plot forward the story doesn't work you know yeah. but that's but I'm very into character-driven stories, so everyone's different. Like some people are very into plot-oriented stories, which I feel like the first volume is more plot-oriented. The second volume is more character-oriented. But um, I don't know. I think I think that was a long answer to everything. No, it <laughs> was a good answer. It <laughs> so. was a good answer. No, I was just curious why you chose the '80s. What what was that about? Well, it was Robert's idea, um, huh. but I was all about it because I'm obsessed with the 80s. Yeah. Uh, I would say for over a decade now, or maybe a decade, probably 50 to 60% of all the content I consume is from the 80s. Oh, okay. Um, I, I just, I, I, I love the movies, I love the music, I love the decade. Um, yeah. There's, and I feel like when I'm trying to write Headless, have you ever heard of a genre of music called New Retro Wave? Mm-hmm. Yep. So to me, it's, it's when people make kind of music that's inspired by the 80s but it's mm, new music yeah. that's how i kind of wanted to go about writing headless it's it's the comic book equivalent of new retro wave where it's it's not just about it takes place in the 80s and they reference things from the 80s I, I wanted to feel like it's it's in the spirit of the 80s the way the story is written the way the characters are written um i remember reading a review somewhere where the reviewer said that the way alex writes his characters it feels like an 80s book because they have a lot of edge to them. Um, because I feel like something that's lost in a lot of new movies and stories that I've seen is that the characters seem very flat. Because to me, especially the villains, because when you write a villain, I should want to punch him in the face. You know, and I feel like a lot of modern villains, they're just, they're not very unlikable. <laughs> it's just a weird thing to say, but... Um, I, maybe I haven't seen the right movies, but you know when I when I watch Rocky, you know I want to beat the crap out of Club of Lang when he pushes Mickey over and treats him like garbage. You know? he's, he's a monster, and he, he treats Apollo like crap. I'm like, this guy's a monster, but he's a great villain. You know? Oh yeah. Well, l- l- let me let me touch on that for a second because you have a villain in the book that, as much as you you know you should want to punch him in the face, I find him adorable. Yeah. Which claw. Right? <laughs> you already know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've, that's the one character that I consistently get the most comments from people about is that he's he's like a very he's a monster, but he's really fun to write, and yeah. especially even he's gonna pop. He does pop up in season two, issue one. I'm sure you figured oh, it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, he's the, <laughs> he's the dog. <laughs> so, when when he pops up for me, it's literally like fun time for me. Because, like, that is the most fun thing for me to... Because especially because a lot of scenes get very heavy. And then even I'm like, oh, God, I need a break. And I need to move the plot forward in in this direction. And I need this character. And then when Claw pops up, it's just a breath of fresh air. But I would say consistently that's 
the most one of the most common things I hear from people is that oh Claw is the best Claw is great he's such a, and he's just it's he is probably the most self indulgent character for me to write it's just me having fun and I, I, he I th- I feel like he pops right in to say that dumb stupid line then he pops out <laughs> then he does the thing and then he leaves you know it's like he doesn't what's the term. Um, like you know when you're a comedian you stay on stage too long it's like he gets in he gets yeah. the applause and he's out <laughs> now he's done his job he gets his pop and runs <laughs> yeah. leave, leave on a high mark yeah, yeah he leaves on a high mark yeah. that's it yeah, yeah i feel like yeah he gets he gets really fun in season two because there are a lot of scenes with him in season two especially issues two and three where i really get to have fun with that character yeah when, when he popped up in uh in the first issue of season two i'm like oh okay something weird's about to happen here <laughs> and yeah you guys did not disappoint because yeah, yeah that whole thing with him was just like oh, this you know my and, favorite well, part go ahead i'm sorry yeah the character the, the, the design of him as the dog is yeah. Just, yeah. that was I, robert i find that hilarious and that I, was I, robert yeah that was robert i remember just writing like uh, spoiler claws the dog <laughs> i was like claw dog and then he drew it i'm like that is so funny <laughs> so <stupid. laughs> yeah it was so fun what, He's what got you writing comics initially um so i graduated uh from the school of visual arts and then i was drawing comics um and writing them and then i found that i, I draw very slow uh, and I'm also not that good. I'm okay. I'm, you know, I'm decent, but I'm not as good as the people I work with. And then it got to a point where I thought, okay, it took me six months to draw this book. And then I send it to a publisher and, you know, they reject it. Okay, now I got to spend another six, seven months to draw another book. So I just thought, why don't I just write a bunch of books? And then I could self-publish them, even if the publisher says no, the ones I like. And then I could just get my work out there while in the meantime, I'm still drawing and making books. And that's, I think... Once I started to go in that direction, I found myself spending a lot more time writing um, than drawing. I still do draw. I draw every day. Um, but I found myself being much more into the writing side of it. And also, my logic was, as a writer, I thought I was wrong. I thought it was easier to break in as a writer than an artist because you could send in more submissions faster. right? Like mm-hmm. I, can, I could write five pitches and then have five drawn and all done within a few months and send them all in at the same time. In my head, I thought that was a faster way to break in. It's not for anybody listening who wants to try that. It's a bad idea. It's a lot harder to break in as a writer than an artist. Um, but it worked. Um, and that's kind of where I, I got into it. Um, but eventually I would like to start drawing headless. Uh, I don't think I'd ever want to, I don't want to use that word. I don't think I'd want to draw a monthly book if I ever was able to like with the speed and consistency I'd like. Um, but I definitely want to draw a few volumes. Um, hmm. And that helps a lot too, because I feel like if you have a background in making comics, uh, it really helps when you're writing comics because you understand the medium and you understand hmm. you can't write certain things because an artist can't draw them. Like a lot of new writers have this tendency to say, panel, page one, panel one. Uh, Joe walks in the room, he smiles, he picks up a coffee and he says, hello. It's like, those are two different things. Those are two panels not one panel you know so it's like it really helps out a lot but that's how i got into writing um also even when i was in art school i found that oh like we would have to make up our own you know we write our own scripts and then we would make comics and teachers would critique them i was really into the writing side of it and the creative side of it and i found a lot of the kids in the class just wanted to draw and they wanted to be they wanted to be a lot of them wanted to be told what to draw and i hated that 
you know, a teacher would be like, okay, we're going to draw this, this script. And I hated that. Like, I was like, oh, I want to write my own script. So I think kind of what you're into comes out over time if you listen to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, um, Don and I, um, we, we actually met because we um, graphic designers. Oh, and, cool. I don't design anymore. I don't do any <laughs> any of it. Um, I do a lot of writing for D and D adventures these days. Oh, and, I love D and D. I'm sure it shows in my work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it's <clears throat> for me, it's so much more fulfilling than anything I've ever drawn or painted in my entire life. Well, other than maybe right. miniatures, I love painting miniatures now. I'm um, terrible at that. I used to try. I'm horrible at it. <laughs> I'm so bad. So bad. Dude, at it. I, Literally, I was in art school, and we're, we're we're doing painting, intro to painting and stuff, right? And the teacher walks by and goes, huh, yeah, painting's not your thing, is it? <laughs> like, wait a minute, this is the painting class. You're supposed to teach me this. <laughs> They're teaching you not to do it. Like, you suck. Yeah, like, <laughs> not I got the stuff. encouragement not to paint. That's how bad I was. <laughs> Uh, that's really funny uh, actually fast forward years later here i am painting miniatures and people are like dude you're so good i'm like no i'm not i just started like almost a year ago (laughs) the teacher should have said you needed really 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 small canvases (laughs) then you would have been okay i guess three-dimensional shapes shaped as characters that was your thing they just didn't know at the time it it just took like you know 20 plus years for me to figure that out (laughs) Yeah. But you did, but you did figure it out. That's the important thing. Eventually, uh, I'm, I'm still garbage. I'm still total hot garbage, but I try. <laughs> so. oh, that's funny. So, with with headless, uh, now the the first the first season, uh, how many? What, what was it? Four issues, right? Yes. Yeah. So, how many are we doing on uh, on volume two or season two? It's, it's three. Three. It's three. Okay. And they all they all connect into one big cover, which is super cool. Uh, I kind of so every issue's cover Wait. and main covers, it's it's one big image. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So the cover for issue one, the painted cover, um, issue two and issue three's covers all connect into one big cover. So I think that's kind of what really made it cool to do in three issues. Okay. Yeah, we got that's the cool. Evan Dorkin issue uh, cover. Oh. So. Oh, Which is nice, but I, I so did not. Good. Yeah, it is good, but I so good. we didn't see the the connecting part. Yeah, if you if you just look up the covers for because all the issues are out now um, hmm. for issues two and three of oh, one two and three of season two, you'll see it's one big image. Oh. Yeah, I, 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 I like you said that, and I'm like, I'm going to the Scout Comics <laughs> page right now. I want to see this. Yeah, but no, it's it's. Um, on that, to talk on the Evan Dorkin thing, that was super, super exciting for me because um, I met Evan Dorkin at a convention once, and um, I thought he was like the nicest guy ever. And then I just messaged him during COVID because you know everyone's you know at home. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Let me just email the guy. Like, why not? And then he was super cool, and we started talking. And then I just said, hey, do you would you be cool with drawing a cover for my book? He's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then, and then that was it. And then when I saw the artwork, I'm like, oh my god, this is such a good drawing of these characters. <laughs> like he gets to draw Tom and Claw, like my favorite, like the villains of the story, like the goofy characters, and he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, no, I love that cover. Like I actually, um, I almost bought the original artwork off of him for that. And then, wow. I, I mean, he was asking for a fair amount. <laughs> but, 
Um, but he was asking for less than what he's selling it for. Yeah. And then the other day, I was like, oh, I should buy that artwork. And then my wife's like, if you buy it, you will never sell it. <laughs> you will leave it on the wall. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, it's true. you know. So I'm, I'm, I hold back the urge to buy it. Somebody out there who wants it can have it. Because I, I would just lock it away in my house, and no one but me would be able to see it. It would be mine. <laughs> That's yep. when I buy it. It would just be for me. I would I, I would never buy anything to sell it again. So I think right, you were doing but, the right but thing. I'm, but I'm saying I'm the creator. You know, it feels oh. selfish. Oh, I get <laughs> like, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I have as much headless as I want. I need to own the like, cover <laughs> too. <laughs> it's not fair. You know. Nice. Uh, yeah, I see how these covers connect. That's cool. Yeah, Mike Debish. He's an awesome cover artist. Shout out to him. Because um, right. we worked on that a lot. Um, that was really, really, really hard to make work in production, by the way. That was a nightmare. <laughs> we got it to work. We got it to work. But, oh, my God, that was that was like something I wasn't planning for, to just get it to line up properly when it went to print. Um, yeah. You could talk about that for a little bit. That's really interesting. Um, so I don't know if anybody has ever um, prepared comics for print. Um, and this is mostly Scout. Like, I've done, I've done it, so I... I kind of know how, because I've done self-publishing. <clears throat> but in comics, you draw to the, um, they call it the bleed. Like, you draw all the way. And then when the printer prints it, they actually cut the ends yep. of that off. So the thing is, is that you have to make sure that it's going to cut and it still connects right. And that's the hard part. Because basically, the, the painter is not painting with that in mind. They're just painting it, right. so you have to subtract yeah. space from the ends to make sure it lines up right, and that was really hard <laughs> to make look right. So, shout out to Scout for getting it done because it was yeah. it was it was difficult. Yeah, for those. yeah that's that, that is definitely not an easy thing to try and uh, line up and overprint on with, right. with bleed lines and everything. Right. So it that's was, it, was, it was a nightmare. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, was, for for the people listening, one thing: if you ever go to print. You think you have it right, and then you find out a process, especially if it's a different printer printing something, everything oh God, goes out yeah. the window. And, well, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, it's, it's, even, yeah. even something as simple as the way the ink or the colors look on different papers yes. will be different yeah. than the way it looks on your computer screen. Right. Um, and all that kind of stuff can drive you bonkers. But uh, um, you're, you're leaving up the... But I never thought about you know connecting covers, but that's you it. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that it. it. It's besides just the printing. It. It's just yeah. Besides just the printing process is is cutting. Because sometimes people yeah. will cut it in different ways, and you're not controlling it. You're you're passing it to somebody else. And now it doesn't connect right. Right. You know, yeah. and that's the thing. And yeah. then yeah, it, it's it's a tricky one you know because oh. I just thought hey and then they had all those 90s covers that connected those were cool when Jim Lee did that yeah. I'll just do that and then you realize like how much goes into that yeah yeah that 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 was always um, when I was doing design stuff that was always something that I like I dreaded when people would be like uh, you know what I want is I, I want I want to fold over and I want this thing to line right. up with this thing and I'm like right. I hate you already yeah, I don't see, want you, yeah. you would hate me you'd be like oh I hate this guy he doesn't know anything <laughs> well, <laughs> like, yeah, no but, man it'd be cool like, it's even, not work. even if yeah. you're seasoned um, sometimes things would just come out of, out of the side you know slap you on the side of the head like wait a minute what yeah, and, uh, I, I and feel then, like uh, 
you know, when you, you see the printer and they're trying to do it and they're, they're so irate wanting to skin you alive and you're thinking, wait a minute, I set this up like I normally do and um, but there's a lot of, lot of variables that you can't control or even conceive of. Yeah, um, no, it's, yeah. it's it's it's. I don't know if I'm ever going to do it again. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. I'm like, this might be a one and done. Yeah. I was like, look, man, I did it. I got it accomplished. I'm moving on. Now. <laughs> I was just, you know, the the ambitious, you know, writer. Like, oh, this will be cool. And then, you know, we do it. I'm like, oh, that was a mistake. That was <laughs> everyone in the background's going. No, no, no! Please. <laughs> so it might be it might be the last book I work on with connecting covers. If anybody wants a collector out there, like, oh, Alex never did these again. <laughs> so Alex, we haven't gotten to read the next two issues. So uh, I don't know how much you want to say. Is there more headless coming, or are we going to see branch off stories with some of these characters? Uh, I want to say yes. Uh, but I, I don't know yet. There's, there's too many factors at play. It's not just me. Uh, it's if you know Robert obviously is co-creator and artist, um, so he has to want to be on board to do more. A publisher has to be on want to be on board to do more. Um, yeah. Sales have to not be abysmal, which I don't think they are. I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen the numbers yet. Um, I don't know. Uh, but I, I I'm leaning towards yes. Uh, for me, um, I want to do more. Um, and I, what's funny is, I, for me, the first two volumes have, especially volume two, brings the book to where I want it to be. Because I, I want the story to be at a certain place and I want it to go in a certain direction. And after the second volume, the book is really, to me, starting to hit its stride. Mm. Starting to now, it's like, okay, now I can really, you know, do the kind of stuff I want to do. And now I'm hitting the, because I feel like the first volume and the second volume, especially the first volume, creating the world and setting everything up. And then the second volume is, you know, bringing the character in the direction I need them to go to do these kinds of stories. And then, you know, so by the third volume, if we get to do it, which I hope we do, um, it'll really be where I want the story to be or begin to be where I want it to be. That sounds pretentious, but... Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Um, the, ending, yeah, the ending on the first series, season was really nice. It, um, it wrapped mm -hmm. up. It, it was kind of had a, a calm e ending after all the schizophrenia that went on through it. Yeah. But it had a nice little hint a uh, very subtle, quiet hint at the end. I thought that would just be the end. Um, yeah. When they sent the digital files to us that had five, it was like 5B or something, I thought that was just like extras, like DVD extras or something. <laughs> and, you know, that's yeah, how like I went. thought it was going to be an art book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like how they did it or what you're, you know. But I opened, oh, it's more of the story. And... I thought that was nice how it ended, but then when it, it opened up again, I said, well, actually, I could see that he threw a hint. Why, why did you make it three issues instead of four again? Was there a reason? Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of the way the story worked out. I got um, you. It felt, it felt right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, for season three, I don't know. I'm leaning towards four, but it might be three as well. It's one of those things that... Um, when you actually get down to start doing it, sometimes it works better. I think, too, maybe part of what it is is that sometimes in comics, uh, when your issues go on for too long, you yeah. lose your audience. 
you know yeah. so for me i thought if i could do it in three that would be better than four and it was tighter um so yeah i don't know i don't i don't have a great answer to that question no it's that's <laughs> fine i just whenever i try to make something up i i don't have a plan i'm i'm just a winging it kind of person all the time and right. it fascinates me when i see um people say it's going to be four issues or three issues and um, sometimes bands will do a double album and it's all good except the third side really sucks really bad because they just right. had it and um, I'm always in what you said sometimes they just go on too long or sometimes yeah. not enough but I I'm asking that question because I have no clue how that's come up you know conceived of or planned out or thought of when you're writing these stories do you think okay it'll be three issues or four I issues feel you, I get a feel for it so, yeah. because I, I always write the ending first, and then I work backwards. Oh, okay. So once I know what the ending is, what I, every writer is different, but the way I write and what works for me is that I'll write the ending and then I'll start to plot out. Okay, this if this is the ending and these are my characters, how much space do I think I need to make that work? Right. Um, and I think that's how I go about it. So you know, usually because of that the way I go about writing, that's how I do it. And I think too, now that I have a little bit more experience, I've gotten better at getting a good feel for how much space I need. Right. Um, and I try really hard as a writer to move the story forward because I feel like, just like the people listening to your podcast right now, people's time is valuable. And I try really hard not to waste people's time with my writing because I, I, I see a lot of writing and I'm, I'm not trying to put other writers down, but I think they don't respect the the reader's time because they'll take them. I don't even know, like half an issue to say something that they could have said in two pages. Mm. But I, I think it's, I think part of it too, especially with these big line books like Spider-Man or Batman or whatever, um, because the characters are so huge, the writer doesn't have this kind of editorial pressure to say, Hey, we, we can't waste 20 pages on Bruce Wayne eating a bagel. Nobody cares. But people do care because they like Bruce Wayne. Right. But if I wrote 20 pages about the Headless Horseman dunking a donut and eating it and then talking about his day, you lose the audience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something I think a lot about. And I think and it's, it's, very, it's very, very hard to write like that for me um, because you, you really have to choose your words very carefully yeah. and you have to make things work in a space where it feels – it feels right. I think, um, I don't know, like I always think about, I remember I used to hear this at one of my jobs, that you want to see, like, I feel like my writing or writing in general should be like a duck. Like on the surface, it looks great. But under the water, he's kicking his feet as fast as possible. Right. That's what a lot, that's what the writing is like to me. It's that it should feel smooth, but in actuality, it was very, very hard to do that. Like one of my favorite versions of, a, I feel like, nice, tight writing that I'm thinking of in my head is, um, did you ever see the movie Batman Forever? Yeah, so I love the scene when they introduce both Two Face and the Riddler. But my favorite scene is when they introduce Edward Nigma, and within three minutes, you know everything you need to know about him, and it's done so smoothly that you didn't even know you you know everything you need to know about him. Like the yeah. first scene you see with him is like sitting there at his computer, and he has like a bunch of like different paper like uh, newspaper clippings and magazine clippings of Bruce Wayne on this like little board in front of him. And right when he sees Bruce Wayne, he gets super excited 
And so in two seconds, I know he's obsessed with Bruce Wayne because yeah. there's a billion pictures of him. And then when he sees Bruce Wayne, he almost is wearing the same glasses. And he's saying, oh, you hired me. And he goes, well, you didn't literally hire me, but your name was on the, the like the slip. Yeah. I yep. still have it. Boom, like right there in, in two minutes, you know he's obsessed with Bruce Wayne. You know that he's a megalomaniac by the way he talks and everything. And then as the movie progresses, he just wants to be Bruce Wayne. He, there's even a scene where like when Bruce goes to his Nygma Tech, you know, big thing, and he's wearing the exact yeah, same like, suit. He has the yeah, same he's mold. To adjust himself and yeah, to make like the same like haircut. Him. And yeah. I'm going, that's really good writing. Like that's really good because the audience knows everything they need to know, but they don't know they know everything they need to know. And I feel like a lot of, and that's hard to do. Like that takes time. I'm sure whoever wrote that went over that a few times. Yeah, but and, I, and I feel like have the flip side of that with the with uh, I don't know. Have you seen the new Batman movie? I have not. I want to. Okay. I haven't seen it. You're left with a lot. I, I feel like I was left with a lot of questions about the Riddler. I'll just say that. And, right. <laughs> but well, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I mean, there's different styles of writing. Like sometimes, you know, you don't want to reveal everything about your villain, but I, I feel like it's really good if you can get the, the reader on board very quickly and they know what's going on very fast versus it's going to take you six issues to figure out this guy is a jerk. Yeah. You know, to me, I'm like, just have him push a kid in front of a car. You know, he's a horrible person. We know in two seconds, you don't literally need to do that, but you know, something on that level. Like, do you ever hear of a, a book called Kill the Cat, uh, Save the Cat? It's a script writing book. No. No. I heard that it's, one. It, it's basically the, the guy's argument is that heroes need to save the cat, where there's some, not literally, it doesn't have to be a cat, but if you have a hero in a story, if you open the scene with him, there's a cat stuck in a tree, and he's like, oh, let me save this cat. You know he's the hero because he did something that is the audience likes. Hmm. And to me, with villains, it's the opposite. Like, a guy who pushes a cat like away like a jerk he's the villain and we know yeah. that in two seconds and i think a lot of modern writers they don't care about any of that stuff because they have the audience locked in i'm yeah. making a book about batman so i could waste as much time as i want because you're not going anywhere because it's about batman you know so I, I think that's what i think about when i try to make things tight and you know use my space well so, awesome Awesome. Um, now I know I know we're up on it because you got to get going here. Yes. Uh, yes. Scoutcomics.com. Uh, wait, before I say this, let me make sure I say it right. Yep. Scoutcomics.com. Uh, people can get the books there. You can get them at your local comic book shop. Um, you've got a trade for volume. Is this trade for just volume one, or is there it's trade just for volume, volume one? Okay. Because volume volume two just or season two, whatever it just finished a few weeks ago. So the okay. third issue just came out. So I'm sure there'll be a trade at some point, or maybe Volume One and Volume Two will be combined into one trade. I don't know. Nice, nice. Now, now real quick, I'm, I'm seeing an Ashcan preview on here. Is this a different story, or is this uh, a snippet no. of the first issue? That was the first issue. Yeah, that oh, was that an is Ashcan the, from the first issue. And you could see that that logo I was talking about on that Ashcan. It's the black yeah. and orange. Yes. Yeah. That was the one they made for um, retailers and things like that. Mm. Like there was some yep. big kind of comic book thing, and they handed that out. Mm. Uh, yeah, not, not not I I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't work. I I I, I like the I like the other <laughs> colors. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't. You know, it, it looked good in you know until I saw the book. 
like when I made the logo, well, my buddy Gabe Pinto made that logo. Shout out to Gabe. Um, when he made the logo, I'm like, that's awesome. And then when I saw the artwork, I said, no, the colors need to be blue and pink. <laughs> that's that's better. <laughs> so where can everybody find you on the Internet uh, if they want to keep track and make sure they don't miss out on future projects? Uh, I have a website, frightcomics.com. Honestly, I never update it. Um, <laughs> I don't use social media. Uh, I would just say follow my publishers. Uh, I work for Scout Comics, and I also write for a comic called a company called American Mythology. Yes, uh, I've yes. written for a few, you know them, yeah. I've written for a few uh, um, anthology books for them, and I have a few other books coming out with them this year. Uh, and then I tell people follow Robert Ahmad on Twitter. Uh, he's the co-creator of Headless. So if I'm working on something, I'm probably working with him. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, because I I'm horrible at social media. I just don't. Uh, one, I, I just don't think. I'm that interesting of a person that I have a lot to say on the internet. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, like, you're I, just too busy working as it is. Yeah. So that's yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I used to think that my, I remember when I used to use social media more, I'm like, I like Dragon Ball. Maybe <laughs> I should post a picture of Goku. I'd be like, I like Dragon Ball. It's like, and then it hits a point where I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> I don't have time for this. It's very time consuming. And I feel like you have to be really into it to use it. So eventually I just gave up and I said, you know what? I'm not going to use this. It's not my thing. Instead of faking like I, I'm into it, I feel like it seems fake. <laughs> so when I, for me, when I feel like people who use social media, they see me use social media and they think, this guy hates this. He's not into it. <laughs> <laughs> so better just to not instead of like yeah. presenting something fake. Yeah, I can understand that. That's pure honesty and I respect it. Mm-hmm. And you know what it is too? I, I, I'll maybe close out on this note. I think as a creator, my book is more important than me that makes sense yeah like i want people to go i like headless oh who makes it this guy this loudmouth alex who never shuts up on podcasts oh cool he's he's cool but i like his book you know it's it's, (laughs) i've everything i've ever been into i always found out about the creator afterwards it's not that i i and i i'm my hope would be people to find about me that way find out about me that way not that oh there's this guy on social media and he posts a thousand things a day and he's so interesting I, I think my my work is more important than me, so I try to put that in front of me. That also is probably the way I think about it too. That's well said. I respect that. Yeah. Ex- excellent. All right, Alex. I know you got to get out of here. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you for yes. having so me. Much for letting us talk to you about your book, and, and you know, we will uh, definitely be. Ch- uh, I I got to go find the next couple issues now. I got to get that <laughs> shot, man. You know. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. It was fun. It was really fun. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Anytime, man. Hopefully, Anytime. I'll come back on. You know, for, I'll come up. For, I'll come up with a reason. You're, you're always <laughs> welcome. On this and new book. I'll come back. On. If you just want to come hang out and talk about comics, you're always yeah. Welcome. That'd be fun. That'd so, be fun. Just let us yeah, know. Yeah, sure. No, super fun. It's a very, very fun Friday night right here. All very right. fun. There you go. If only I had a beer. That would have made it perfect. <laughs> Next time, I had a beer, would have been perfect. Yeah, you're in Miami. You're in Miami. I know there's plenty of places that you you should, you, you could be going here. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, oh, I got to be sober for it. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> All right, man. You get out of here. You get your night going. And thank you again. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take Bye. care. Have a good one. All right. All right. Uh, you want to do our closeout? Yeah. So yeah, well, we'll we, just kind of edit a little bit. Okay. All right. All right. So if right. we use fake comic book covers for the Facebook page and the Facebook group, if you'd like to draw one, we're always looking for them. Uh, we'd appreciate it. I get nervous sometimes. 
Also, if you're any kind of recording artist, singer, musician, I've said mimes in the past, which I find insane, but if you have an MP3, we'd like to play it on a music break, which we don't do when we have a guest. Uh, we also have t-shirts. It's to raise money for our hosting fees. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Rook? Hey, everybody. Make sure you check us out across social media. You can find me, Rook Murphy, pretty much everywhere. Uh, check out our website, bunchofdorks.com. Just click on that little cyclops. Until next time, read, read more comics. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.